We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Yesterday was St. Martin's Day. In the past, this marked the beginning of an extended season of Advent. And although we don't follow that practice nowadays, our readings and our service nevertheless take on an Advent theme. In our reading this morning, St. Paul tells the Thessalonians that he does not want them to be uninformed about those who have died. So, he writes, that they will not grieve as others do who have no hope. There are two issues here. Firstly, what has happened to those who have died? And secondly, how are we as believers to grieve? Well, in response to the first issue, the standard Christian response is that those who have died have gone to heaven to be with God. In heaven they enjoy a blissful existence, hence the phrase, they have gone to a better place. So secondly, while understandably we miss those who have died and passed away, and while we feel their loss, we can be happy for them or so the argument goes. And this even leads to Christians saying that funerals can be a time of rejoicing. If this is what St. Paul believed, it's not what he says, not here at least, and certainly not as most Christians mean it. We need to backtrack a bit and ask why St. Paul writes what he does. A clue to the explanation lies in our Gospel reading. Jesus taught his disciples that they should always be ready for his return. He would return at any time and at a time when they least expected it. So after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, the first believers expected Jesus' return at any time. It was imminent in their minds. Jesus was coming soon, and when he came, he would bring the kingdom of God on earth, as we pray for every week in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus came back, he would judge the living and the dead, he would give eternal life to those who had trusted in him, and he would punish those who hadn't. This hope this hope of Jesus' return was a central part of their message. It belonged to the core of the gospel they preached. It followed that if Jesus was coming soon, the majority would still be alive when he did. The focus was then not on those who had died and passed away, but on those who were still alive. Those who were still alive must be ready for his return. As time went on, Christ's return seemed to have been delayed, and the issue of what would happen to those who had died became much more pressing. Would those who had died before Christ's return miss out? 
St. Paul is anxious to reassure the Thessalonians who were worried that this would be the case, and the answer he gives is perhaps not quite what we would expect. He doesn't say that those who have died have gone to be with Jesus in heaven. He says that those who have died will rise first when Christ returns. And it is after he has gathered up those who have died that he will then gather those who are alive to himself. We don't grieve for those who have died as others do who have no hope, St. Paul writes, as Christ will one day come for them too. The hope, in other words, that St. Paul writes about remained firmly of Christ's return, Christ's return to us and for us. The hope wasn't that we would go to be with him, but that he would come to us. And it was possible to hold on to this while believing that Christ could return at any time. As time passed, however, and Christ did not return, believers had to face the reality that Jesus was not going to be coming back any time soon. So there developed in the church what we can describe as a two-sided hope. The hope remained that Christ would return, and hopes, Christian hopes, focused on this. This would be when salvation would be complete, believers would be rewarded, sinners would be punished, and the kingdom of God instated here on earth. In the meantime, however, those who had died would go to be with Jesus in heaven to wait for the day of judgment and Christ's return. This received some refinement over the years, but you will get the idea. Heaven wasn't the destination. Heaven was the waiting room for what Jesus would do when he left heaven and returned to earth. Well, this hope of the return of Christ affected how believers saw their life in this world. This life, they, be they believed, was a preparation for the life to come. And they saw this life as transient, temporary, and testing. This life was about God getting us ready to live, as we saw last week, in the city of God. I brought with me my old prayer book. I bought this the month after I was first ordained. And in the old funeral service, in the Book of Common Prayer, there are these words. Man that is born of a woman hath but a short time to live and is full of misery. He cometh up and is cut down like a flower. He fleeth as it were a shadow and never continueth in one's day. In the midst of life we are in death, of whom may we seek for succor, but of thee, O Lord. Full of misery. The hope, in other words, of Christians in the past was very much of a better life in the future when Christ's kingdom came, 
and Christ returned. This life was a preparation for it, but the life of the world to come would only be ours when Christ returned. Well, this has all changed, but it's only comparatively recently that it has changed. It has changed because we have largely given up on the idea of Christ's return. This is why we never talk about it. On those occasions when we can't avoid talking about it, such as at Advent, we talk about it without any expectation that it will actually happen. What is more, we have largely rejected the idea of future judgment. God is just too loving and too nice. Our belief now is that we're all going to a better place, regardless of anything we do or fail to do here. So what about here? Well, all this talk of life being full of misery and short and being cut down like a flower is far too depressing for words and far too depressing for modern-day Christians. Rather than worrying about the future and what will happen to us when we die, which in any case we don't think we have to worry about because there is nothing to worry about because God's going to look after us anyway, Instead of worrying about the future, our focus is on making the most of life now, making the most of life for ourselves and our family, and if we have any time left over, making this world a better place for them to grow up in. Our goal is to enjoy this life, making the most of what has been given to us, following our hopes and ambitions. The problem for Christians, of course, is that this doesn't sound very different to anyone else. So where does God fit in? Well, I think he fits into modern-day Christians' hopes and dreams in three ways. Firstly, to justify our goals and give them divine authority, as it were. Secondly, to help us achieve them and thirdly, to be there for us when we don't achieve them. But where does this leave us as believers in the 21st century? We need to see that it leaves us with a very different faith and hope to that of the Thessalonians and to previous generations of believers. I'm not asking you this morning to choose between them, just to see the difference. To see the difference between the sort of faith expressed in the old Book of Common Prayer and the faith of most modern-day believers. Our focus has become on ourselves in the present and what God can do for us now, rather than on Christ and the future, and what He will do for us when He returns. 
We often use the same words and phrases as they used in the past, but we've given them a very different context and a certainly a very different meaning. If we can see this, it is at least a step in the right direction. I hope to show where that leads in the future over Advent and the time leading up to it. But in closing this morning, let me just ask briefly, what practical difference does this make? It can seem all very theoretical and perhaps even irrelevant. What difference, if any, would it make if we regained the perspective of the past? Well, the first difference it would make to us is that we would stop deceiving ourselves. We live in the 21st century with a narrative of progress. Things are better now than they were in the past, and they're only going to get better. We are so much wiser, cleverer, and better off than previous generations. They lived in ignorance, superstition, and all the rest. Is that really true? Well, it's certainly true that some things are better materially. I prefer living in a world with anesthetic, antibiotics, and vaccines, for example. But let me ask this question. If things are so much better nowadays, why doesn't it feel like it? Only this week, here in Christchurch, I was filmed as part of a video for secondary school students to try and give them some hope when they're feeling suicidal. Because as you will have read, suicides among secondary school students have risen and risen dramatically. What is all the talk amongst young people today? It is of mental health issues. Huge numbers of young girls indulging in spiritual harm, spiritual and physical harm to themselves. Our material achievements, in other words, have blinded us to our spiritual poverty. And so, blinded by our material wealth, we continue to gamble on everything being okay in the end as we concentrate on trying to enjoy our life in this world now and not doing a very good job of it. How can we talk of a narrative of progress when there are two major world wars taking place in our world, sucking in the nations of the world? Who would have thought that after two world wars, we would see war in Europe and war in the Middle East, and they are just the wars we are talking about.
Any thought that we give now for the well-being of others is for well-being in the present, and we are not even achieving that. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We do grieve as believers, but we grieve as people who know that death is terrible. It is an enemy still waiting to be destroyed. And in this life, in the present, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death isn't just something that happens at the end of life. It is a powerful enemy now that casts its shadow over the whole of life and the whole of human endeavor. But while a powerful enemy to be taken with the utmost seriousness, we as believers face that enemy with hope. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't walk through it alone. We walk through it with the Lamb who is our shepherd, who will lead us to the springs of the waters of the river of life. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the one who has conquered death and who will one day seal that victory with his return. And so today, as we remember those whose lives were cruelly cut short in war, as we think of the power of death, we think too of the power of Christ, and we rejoice in him and look for his coming again and his triumph and victory over sin and death. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.